Uh, now I get a chance to answer some questions. These were mainly asked a couple of weeks ago. And uh, if, if you've asked a question last week or the week before, uh, I didn't get them somehow, then you can still maybe re-ask them tonight and I'll try and have a go at them next week. But we have uh, only five, but they are big questions. So let's see how I go. Uh, the first question is, if God doesn't forgive blasphemy, then what hope do we have if we've ever committed this sin? Well, the good news is that God does forgive blasphemy, uh, which means that when we have not honoured God's name, that's what blasphemy means, then he says that he'll forgive us if we say sorry. Uh, and that includes any time that we might have used his name as a swear word. That's kind of a, a, a traditional way of talking about blasphemy, isn't it? Jesus said, however, that anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And I wonder if that's where this question's coming from. It's saying, is that what it means? Well, it's, no, it's actually different. It's describing when a person shuts out the message of God and never ends up listening to it and following Jesus. So it's basically something that happens once you have got to the end of life and you've said, no, 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 I will not listen to God your entire life, then ultimately you have blasphemed the Holy Spirit and therefore cannot be forgiven because you haven't listened to the call of God and taken that opportunity to, to seek forgiveness. Question two. Why do we follow some Bible commands but not others? For example, why don't our men pray with hands lifted up and our women avoid wearing expensive jewellery? Now, this question was asked a few weeks ago when we were looking at the first letter of Paul to Timothy. The letter actually was, a, the, the question was just a little bit longer than that, and it listed a few things that we do do, but a few things that we don't seem to do, like these two things. And there were a whole lot of things in 1 Timothy that Timothy was told to teach the church, including these things. And they, this person's asking, why, did, why is it that we don't specifically do these two things? Well, the simple reason is that today we try and read the Bible in such a way that respects its original historical context. This is a very important key to understanding the Bible. And that's really important that, so that we will work out what was being said in the first century when it was written. What, was it, what did it mean to them first? And, for example... I understand that if a woman wore expensive jewellery and they, they did their hair up in a very, very fancy way, then what it was actually showing in that context is that they were very immodest and extremely extravagant. Now, that's not the case for us today. If you wear a nice piece of jewellery, ladies or men, uh, and you dress yourself up an awful lot, um, it's not exactly the same as what was being spoken against in the first century. I think the parallel is, what, what was it that caused offence in the first century? It was dre dressing up in this way that, that was actually more like a, a prostitute. That's what the first century context was. So what would be the equivalent today? Well, maybe wearing clothes that were extremely immodest. Maybe that's the, that seems to be the parallel. Uh, wh what about, um, say, for, for men in this situation, raising hands in church? Well, it seems that an accepted way to pray back then, for some congregations at least, was for the men to pray with their hands raised up. It was something that happened in the Old Testament. It happened in some churches in the New Testament as well. And so the, you know, we've got all these traditions that change over time. And so 500 years ago, I would be preaching by being seated and all of you guys would stand for the whole sermon. Um, there'd be some benefit in that if you started 
collapsing, then I might stop talking, perhaps. That might be easier. But it was a, tr- it was a different way of, of doing church together. And it, didn't really, it doesn't really matter whether you stand and sit or I sit or stand or whatever it is. Likewise, it doesn't matter so much whether hands are raised or not because it doesn't get repeated all through the Bible that you've got to do it. The key thing in this is that the attitude must be of one that is free from anger and controversy. It's not just what your hands are doing. It's, it's actually what your heart is doing. And I think that that whole section there in 1 Timothy chapter 2 is about about men and women having a heart that is living in reverence to God and serving each other. I think that's what it's talking about there. So I think we actually do keep those two commands, but in a 21st century kind of way. Question three. Does a child still need to honour abusive parents? Well, above all, we need to obey and honour God, whether we are children or whether we are parents. Children should ordinarily obey parents, but if the parents are harming the children, then the children need to be protected from that harm. The most honourable thing that those harmful parents can do is stop harming their children. And so the most honourable thing that those children can do is somehow to get their parents to stop harming them some sort of intervention in that way. And so if a child is being harmed, the parents need someone to step in to stop them causing that harm. Then the children will be safe and then the parents will actually cease being dishonourable. So if a child is being abused by a parent, they might think, well, I've actually got to keep doing what my parents say even though it's hurting me. No. You need to tell someone, a trusted youth leader or school teacher or someone, and tell them about it so that they will make it possible for your parents to stop abusing you and therefore be honourably acting. If you want to talk more about that or you need to discuss that, if any of you are in a situation like that, come and talk to me or a trusted leader. Two to come. Another pretty heavy question. Since wives have been abused by their husbands, shouldn't we stop teaching submission? Well, the teaching in the Bible about husbands and wives is amazing. Uh, It says that husbands are to love their wives like Christ loves the church. In other words, the love needs to be fully sacrificial and fully other person-centered. See, Jesus loved us by dying for us And he never, ever caused us harm. That's what husbands are supposed to be like. That's the model. And it's in that context that wives are taught to submit to their husbands, following their leadership in the marriage. And then the husband can lovingly lead the marriage and the wife can safely submit to her husband. But sadly, All husbands fall short of the standard of Jesus, and so those husbands don't always love as they should. But nonetheless, in normal circumstances, the wife is still to submit to the leadership of the husband, working with him as a team to make wise and godly decisions. If you have looked at my marriage, which is not a perfect marriage in any stretch of the imagination, but what I have done as the leader of the family is delegate most of the everyday running of our family to Mandy. 
And so when the boys say, hey, can I go and stay at a friend's place? I say, ask your mother. See, I, I trust Mandy to make most of the decisions around our house. Uh, I'm the leader, the buck stops with me, but she's basically the manager of the house. And you can tell that if you look around. But when we need to make big decisions as a family, like changing jobs or something like that, I have a big long chat to Mandy about it. And it may well be that we go against my preference because I want to serve her. And there are times where that's happened. I think that's just a bit of a, a shadow of what Christ's sacrifice is like, an imperfect one, of course. It's not perfect, but in God's strength, we seek to honour him in our marriage. And Mandy keeps forgiving me when I fail to love and serve her as I should. But what happens if a husband is abusive? Should a wife submit to her abusive husband? Well, firstly, the Bible never tells husbands to force their wives to submit to them. You must submit to me. That is not what the Bible says. It is a choice that the wives make. It's not something for the husbands to demand. And if a husband is acting in a seriously unloving way, abusing his wife in any way, then the right thing is for the wife to be protected and the husband to be prevented from harming his wife. To make that happen, it's right for there to be a time of separation. The husband needs to realise he's doing the wrong thing and he needs to repent to the Lord and to his wife for not acting like Christ to his wife. And then there's hope of the marriage being restored. But if the husband won't repent and change and if the wife cannot be safe, then the separation may well be ongoing and maybe even result in divorce. See, just because abuse exists, it doesn't mean that the Bible's teaching on marriage is wrong. And so it is good for wives to submit to their sacrificially leading husbands. Question five. Why didn't Jesus write down his teachings and prayers rather than have it recorded by his apostles? That's an interesting question, isn't it? Uh, why didn't Jesus just write down all his words in a book and then hand it to the apostles and say, can you stick that on a photocopier? Not that they were invented at the time, but you know what I mean. Well, I think what this does is it shows us a bit about the nature of how our triune God, our God who is Trinity, how he engages with his creation. See, he made his humans with personality and with responsibility. And he interacts with us in ways that preserve our human involvement in his mission. In a sense, the Bible is a little bit like Jesus. See, is Jesus fully God? Yes. Is he fully human? Yes. Both at the same time. Is the Bible fully God's word? Yes. Is it a human document? Yes. It's fully divine and it's also fully human, both in together. It's written by specific people in a specific time in history, in a specific language and a specific culture. And I think this helps us understand it even better because it helps us realise it was written in the first century and earlier and so we need to work out what it said firstly to the first century and earlier and then we can work out what it says to us and I think I've given us a bit of an example of that already when it came to that question about what, 
we wear and where we put our hands when we're praying. And that's why I think that God spoke his word through humans and why we now have his word today as the means by which his Holy Spirit speaks to us now. I raised a couple of, or answered a couple of pretty heavy questions there. I might just lead us in prayer as a result. Loving Father, as we reflect upon abuse in families, it makes us terribly sad. And loving Father, we pray that abuse by parents and by spouses would stop. And we ask, Heavenly Father, that in times where there is danger, that there would be protection for those who are at risk. And that those who have done these terrible things would be brought to justice and brought to repentance, that they'd say sorry and they'd stop doing it. We pray, Father, for our families and for our relationships, for our marriages, and ask, Lord, that you would work in them to glorify you, that you'd help husbands to be men who love to sacrificially serve and for our wives to be women who love to submit to that leadership out of reverence to Christ. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.